This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. Perhaps there is no word in the English language that has been more tortured and more twisted. Perhaps there's not another word in the English language that has been more distorted and deformed. Perhaps there's not a a word in the English language that has been more muddied and misunderstood and misconstrued and, and misinterpreted and even perverted like the word love. And the truth is that on a daily basis, at least in my lifetime, as I look on a continuous basis, I see the truth about love seem to kind of get deeper and deeper every day, being buried in the avalanche of selfishness and confusion. I don't think I have to tell you this, but you, I'm, I'm telling you the obvious. Whenever Hollywood uses the term love in their movies, 99% of the times, well, I was going to say 99.9%, and I want to be charitable just in case. There's a 1% somewhere. 99% of the times, it is used in terms of selfish ends. And so, when the guy says to the gal, I love you, I need you, I can't live without you, what is he saying? He's saying, I love me, and I want you to love me. It's like the wife that went to the pastor and was talking about the problems she's having with her husband, and, and she began to talk about some of the problems and the troubles, and he said, you know, finally he said, look, if you can summarize it in a sentence, what would it be? She said, very simple. We both are in love with the same person, him. <laughs> you know, the problem is that we see this all around us, but the danger is that we're getting used to it. I think that's the danger. In fact, last week I was talking to one of my colleagues who shall remain nameless, because I promised him I will not give away his name, and when I tell you why, you'll understand. Uh, I was telling him that I'm doing this series of messages, The Truth About Love. He said, oh yeah. He said, you know, I was watching this uh, television show called uh, The Bachelor, he said, you know, I, said, I was watching this, this, this incredible show. I said, the man apparently got a bunch of women. He's got to choose one of all these women. And he sort of eliminates them as he goes along. And he said, the first one that got eliminated was sobbing. And uh, the person, I guess, was asking, you know, why are you crying so much? She said, oh, I just love him very much. He just met her four minutes ago. <laughs> you know, mind-boggling as this is, I tell you, I deeply become deeply concerned even about the next generation. Because I don't only, I'm concerned about this generation, but I'm, I'm concerned about the next generation. I wonder what it's going to be like for them. If it is bad now, what's it going to be like then? How is it going to affect them as they steadily feed upon this diet of confusion and a steady diet of this type of distortion about the real meaning of love. I just worry. Unless Jesus comes back or he sends us a revival that sweeps across the land. Either one. May the Lord hear our prayers. (laughs) 
But you know what? I, I can tell you that believers are not immune to this kind of confusion. They are not immune to this type of distortion. This distortion of the real meaning of love. Because if we keep feeding on this stuff, sooner or later, we're going to begin to view love as distorted as they do. Sooner or later, we're going to believe that if God really loves me, then He should do what I ask Him to do. Sooner or later, this type of distortion is going to permeate Christian homes and even Christian churches. Sooner or later, this distorted and selfish view of love is going to permeate every aspect of our lives. Today, in fact, today, there are very few people who really understand, who really, really comprehend what biblical love is all about, what sacrificial love is all about. They really, really do. Many people today think love is, is just having that kind of warm affection and, and, or, or even romance or desire. And they, they're just totally confused. In fact, I, I remember many years ago, a young woman came to me and she said, you know, I've been dating this guy. And, and he told me last week, he said, if you do not marry me, I'm going to kill myself. And she's carrying this huge guilt. Well, a couple of years later, I'm not a curious guy by nature, but a couple of years later, I saw her and, and I just couldn't help it. And I said, well, I know you obviously did not marry him. And, and, um, and did he kill himself? <laughs> she said, no, he's married and has a kid. <laughs> you know, this type of of threat is not love. That is pure selfishness. Let me tell you about biblical self-giving love. Self-giving love demands something of ourselves, not from the other person. Self-giving love is more concerned about giving than receiving. Self-giving love is more about sacrificing of self for others. Self-giving love is more about the will rather than the feelings. Self-giving love puts the welfare of others ahead of of ours. Self-giving love has no room for pride and self-conceit. Now, I'm going to level with you. If you hear me talk about self-giving love, and and if you even heard other people talk about self-giving love, and you say, man, I'm going to try that. If you try it, naturally. You're going to fail. I'm going to tell you right up front. If you're going to try it, try to do it yourself, you're going to fail. Why? Because it is an impossibility. Because you cannot sustain it in the long run. The best of our natural, natural effort to love selflessly will only go so far. Only supernaturally can we love the self-sacrificing love. You say, well, how would I get that? Let me tell you. The apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter, because you don't have to generate it, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, you know what he said? That everyone who's in Christ Jesus, not maybe or possibly, no, he said, you are partakers of the divine nature. That you are already a partaker of the supernatural. And because the very Jesus whom we claim to know as the Savior and the Lord of our lives, has already promised to pour His love into our hearts. (laughs) I want you to hear me right on this one. 
It is my testimony, and I am sure it's probably the testimony of so many of you, that I tried to love with Christ's type of love on my own strength. And then I grit my teeth, and I say, I've got to do it, I've got to do it, because, because I'm a preacher, you know, after all, I got love just like Jesus. I blew it every time, every time. And I failed miserably. But in the power of Jesus, I succeed every time. The Bible said in John 13, verse 1, it's, the Bible said about Jesus, said when he loved his own, he loved them to perfection. What does that mean? That he loved them to the fullest degree and measure. That he loved them to the limitless of love. And if there is one thing that should distinguish the believers from the non-believers, is not because we try harder. No, 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 no. You don't understand. If there's one thing that distinguishes between those who know Jesus Christ and love Jesus Christ and those who do not, it should be that selfless, God-given love. Listen again, John 13, 34 and 35. Here's Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. What is this? Preaching? As much as I love preaching. Going to church? Being a church member? Christian activities? No. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. What is the distinguishing mark? What is the trademark that, that sets you aside? That sets me aside? If you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What is Jesus saying? He is saying, let that self-sacrificial love be supreme mark, your su- supreme trademark to your claim of my dis- being my disciple. Let me make a bold statement. Whenever you see a self-sacrificing person who's got love in action, you are witnessing an obedient child of God. Whenever you see a loveless person, you are seeing a disobedient child of God. I want you to hear me right. You know the extreme importance that I place on right doctrine, biblical doctrine. You know of the extreme importance that I place on biblical theology and on on biblical truth. You know this. But right biblical doctrine is no substitute for love. Did you get that? Right theology, important as you know I would die for it, is no substitute for love. Church activities are no substitute for love. Church membership is no substitute for love. And a believer has absolutely no excuse for not loving like Jesus. Do you know why I say that? Because Romans 5.5 5 says that you're not supposed to manufacture this love. Because if you try to manufacture it, number one, you're not going to make it. And you may hack it for a little while, but you can't sustain it. Romans 5.5 5 says you can't manufacture it. You only share what you already have. Let me read it to you literally. Because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. You see, you don't manufacture love, you only share what you've got. 
You cannot manufacture self-giving love. You cannot do it. You cannot produce it no matter how hard you might try. You can only share that which God has already poured in your heart. A person without Christ, whenever he or she tries harder, I'm going to be self-sacrificing. I, I know that's a Christian thing, and I know this is the right thing to do, and I'm going to try. They may do it in short bursts. They may do it for a little while, but they can't keep it going. <laughs> you know why? You know why? Because when they are constantly have to work at it, when you constantly have to manufacture it, when you constantly have to sweat it out, <laughs> sooner or later, you're going to get exhausted, and you're going to give up. And you're going to say, it's not working. I've tried. I've given it my best. And this is why so many of these books about marriage, when they talk about marriage, is hard work. Now, I've got news for you. I don't read a book like that. If I just start reading, marriage is hard work. I forget it. When for 33 years, I haven't been working any hard at all, and maybe my wife doing most of the hard work. <laughs> but I don't think she is either. Why? Because all we're doing is we're giving what God already put in our hearts to each other. We're sharing the love of Christ that He put in our hearts. When it is hard work, do you know why it is hard work? Because you're trying to do it on your own. Because you're trying to do it in your strength. Because you're trying to follow Dr. Smilfunger's techniques. Because you're trying to follow this guy's opinion. Because you're trying to follow this program. Listen to me. Love is not, cannot, will not be manufactured only shared because Christ has poured it into your heart already. And here's what the Scripture tells us about that love that we already have. Here's what the Scripture said. According to 1 Thessalonians 4.9, we are taught this love by God Himself. According to 1 Corinthians 14.1, we are to pursue love According to Colossians 3.14, we are to put on love. According to 1 Thessalonians 3.12, we are to increase and abound daily more and more in love. According to 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, we are to be sincere in love. According to Philippians 2.2, we are to be unified in love. And according to 1 Peter 4.8, we are to be fervent in love. And according to Hebrews 10.24, we are to increase encourage one another to love. And that is why when you come to the great love manifesto, 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul actually does what Hebrew scholars would say, an exaggeration. In the Hebrew language known as hyperbole, he really does. He, he goes to an extreme just to make his point. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Three things in those three verses that the Apostle Paul 
wants every believer to understand and to take to heart and to practice. First, he's saying that eloquence is no substitute for love. Secondly, he's saying expertise is no substitute for love. And thirdly, he is saying extravagance is no substitute for love. Eloquence is no substitute for love. You know, the Corinthians at that time, with Paul writing to them, they were bragging all over the place about that they can speak in tongues, that they can speak in different languages, but they had loveless hearts. And that's why Paul addresses them and addresses this problem. He said, you know, if I speak in every known language in the world, no, that's not even impressive enough. If I speak like the angels speak, well, how do the angels speak? You know, you know how we have this ridiculous view of angels, little babies with, with wings kind of going like this and harp and, and, and all that stuff. That's just that's not it. When the angels appear to people, they were awestruck. I mean, that's why the angel said to Mary, fear not. Why? These are awesome creatures when they, when they come in the flesh. And, and then when they spoke to Joseph, same thing, fear not. Why? Because when they speak, you, you literally want to go back and say, whoa, what, 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 what's this? And Paul said, if I have this kind of power that when I speak, people say, whoa, listen to this guy. I, I mean, he is incredible. And they are awestruck with the eloquence of his words that he's speaking with the power of angels. He said, if I've got all of that and have no love, means nothing. I'm just going to sound like a bunch of noise. Beloved, I wanted to hear me right. The best of our witnessing, the best of our evangelistic techniques, the best of our teaching and preaching, the best of our instructing of our children, the best of our programs, the best of our abilities, if they are not motivated by love, according to the Word of God, it's nothing. They're going to come out like a bunch of noise. You know, I pray with folks before the service, and my prayer, and almost my regular prayer, not just on Sundays, but every daily prayer, I know, I know, trust me when I tell you, that I say to the Lord every day when I stand up here, I say, Lord, if I'm going to just stand up and talk to these people, if they never suffered from migraine headaches, they're going to get one today. And the Lord knows that. <laughs> But only if the Holy Spirit of God take those simple words and let them penetrate deep into your hearts and into my hearts, that they will bring fruit of eternal life. You see, the best of what we do in the Christian activities, unless it's motivated by love. You know, during the time of the Apostle Paul, the people in the, in the town of Corinth, they celebrated pagan festivals. They celebrated the gods and the goddesses, particularly uh, Sybil and, um, and Bacchus and Dionysus. When they celebrated those three gods in the, in the rituals of that celebration, the people always kind of spoke with ecstatic noise. And, and, and they had the smashing gongs and they have clinging symbols, see, clanging symbols. You see, Paul is not making stuff up. They already know what's going on. They see the pagan festival and they see how the rituals take place. And there's trumpets always blowing. And he's saying to the Corinthians, he said, you're familiar with all this. You're familiar with this language. And therefore, speaking eloquently, speaking in other, another language, speaking even with angelic language, all that can be only 
a bunch of noise like you see happen at your pagan festivals and the rituals that takes place. Bunch of noise if they are not done in love. Eloquence is no substitute for love. Secondly, expertise is no substitute for love. You know, we often ask the question, you know, what does make a person tick? Yeah, what we're really saying is, what is his motive? What is her motivation? What is, what's her motivation? That's what we're really doing. Several years ago, the Lord taught me not to ask that question of others, but to ask it of myself. What's my motive? And I often agonize in my spirit for a long time. I often go, probably go overboard when I'm facing a major decision. I'm agonizing in my spirit. What's my motive? I think my wife would testify to you about this agonizing that I go through. And the question that I ask myself, what is motivating me? And if I get some convoluted motives, as most of us probably do, and I go back to the Lord and agonize some more, and I wait until the Lord clarifies my motive. Why do I do this or why do I do that? Because honestly, I believe deeply in my heart that if my motive is self-interest, if my motive is self-promotion, if my motive is to take advantage of any kind, in the long run, I will not be effective for the Lord. In the long run, my effectiveness for the Lord is going to be undercut. You see, anybody can start right, and you can keep it going for a little while. I am more concerned about finishing right than starting right. My concern is the, the long view. Just because I'm gifted in some area does not mean that I exercise that gift in an unloving way and expect things to happen. Oh yeah, they may happen for a little while. You know, anybody can have a, can, can, can have a, a two-camel parade, you know, that, that was not a big deal. You know, it's just a short period of time. I want you to hear me right what I'm going to tell you. Whatever area of giftedness that you have, and we all have at least one area of giftedness, unless it is done and executed in love, in the long run, it will not produce fruit. Paul said, even if I have faith that can move mountains, even if I have faith that performs miracles, even if I have faith that I doing the spectacular all the time, Without love, according to the Apostle Paul, all of that will amount to nothing. You know, let me point you to one person in the Scripture who had faith. He trusted in the Word of God, but because of his loveless heart, he ran away. You know what I'm talking about. Jonah. See, Jonah believed God. He really did. He believed in the Word of God. He trusted in the Word of God. When God said to him, Jonah, if you go to Nineveh, and if you preach, they will repent, and I will forgive them. He said, God, I know you will. I can trust your Word that because of that, I'm not going to go. He believed God. He had faith in God, but he had a loveless heart, and that's why he tried to run from God. Eloquence is no substitute for love. Expertise is no substitute for love. Thirdly, extravagance is no substitute for love. There can be probably no more extravagance than emptying your bank account and your home, your car, your stocks and bonds and all your net worth and you take everything and you become homeless and just give it all away. (laughs) 
He said giving everything. He was talking about everything. I mean, basically, this is it. He gave everything away. If I give it all away, he said, no, that's not even enough. My body, which I still got left, I give all my possessions. But then I got my body, and I allow my body to be burned. No, it's not good enough to be substitute for love. You know what the problem is? Listen to me carefully. The problem is that so many people confuse sacrificing things with sacrificial love. They really do in our culture. There are so many people who confuse sacrificing things with sacrificial love. Why do I say that? Because giving things can be a way to ease one's guilt. Whether it's good guilt or bad guilt, it doesn't matter. Beloved, I want to tell you something, and it took me a long time to really understand this. The greatest gift that you can give someone is yourself. Men, there are many of us, we find it a lot easier to just pay for things, buy things for our kids, buy things for our wives, buy things. But what they want, Dad, is you. Is you. You know, throughout history, there have been so many groups and so many individuals, read it in history, who have tried to practice self-denial. They've tried to practice self-humiliation. They've tried to practice self-affliction even. Still today. But without love, all of these things are anything but selflessness. Why? Because the real focus of these, what I consider them to be pagan practices, the focus is not God, and the focus is not others. The focus is self. Giving that is not done out of love for God and for others is of little value as far as God is concerned. Paul said, if I deliver my body to be burnt, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, you hear people say, oh, I'll die for you. I'll die for you. i die for you. Now, you know what's harder than dying for someone? Is living for someone. Is dying to self. It's much harder to live for Jesus than to die. It's much harder to live for somebody else than to die. It's much harder to die to your ideas the your opinion and your way. This last week, I was having lunch with a group of some of our members. In the middle of the conversation, one person said, you have no idea the incredible amount of quiet, loving ministries that is going, in, going on among your members. I said, I couldn't agree more. There is no way on God's earth that I would know even 10% of what goes on. There is no way. I may not know the thousand ways of which this body is practicing sacrificial love, but I know this. One of the main reasons why God has blessed this church is because of self-sacrificing love that is exercised by so many of you in this body. And so what I want to say to you is keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said, God is the one who's watching you, and the God is the one who's going to reward your labor. But I wonder in my spirit, 
if there may be some people here, someone here today, who would say, Michael, you're right. I've really tried to do this sacrificial love on my own. I tried to do it on my strength. I got this program, and I got that program, and I really tried hard, but I'm finding myself failing all the time. Today, very simply say, Lord Jesus Christ, you promised when I invite you to love others through me and in me. Will you do that? And then ask him again tomorrow morning, and then every day, and you will experience it. You'll see it. I'm testifying to it. Many of you would. He will make you love the unlovable because that's His promise. And so, will you who have been trying hard stop and take this simple step of faith? Lord Jesus, love through me. Thank you. 